Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? In our last podcast, Gary and I talked about the history of replacement theology in the church and how it has led to thousands of years of persecution of the Jewish people at the hands of the church. Recently, I've seen a number of social media posts from Christians who are doubling down on replacement theology, particularly pastors. This is an extremely dangerous position for them to take. Some pastors haven't even spoken out in church about the atrocities of October 7th. Some say that we should not look at the photos or the videos of those atrocities that happened in Israel. But if we don't see it with our own eyes, will we understand and believe it? Remember what Eisenhower did at the end of World War II as the Americans were liberating the Jews from the concentration camps. He required that pictures and videos be taken because if not, Someday, the world would deny it ever happened. And guess what? Even with the archival evidence, many claim the Holocaust never happened. I've, I've seen some pastors who have simply called for prayer that the Jews would get saved. Folks, let's look at this from a Jewish perspective. Your family members have just been brutalized, tortured, massacred in the most horrific ways possible. And a group of people who you know to be connected through their professed faith, Christianity, to the persecution and murder of countless numbers of your ancestors, they hear you pray for them to be saved by the very name that many of those ancestors died by, the name of Jesus. Is this really the right approach? Would that work to change your mind about this Jesus if you were Jewish? I'm not saying that Jesus is wrong. I'm saying that the institutional church has been wrong about Jesus for thousands of years. Jesus would not have tortured Jews through the Inquisitions or rounded them up and burned them alive in their synagogues during the Crusades or have been silent while six million Jews were slaughtered in Nazi Germany. The Jewish people have a history of the cross being used as a sword against them. Let's have some compassion, please. Can we pray while giving them tangible support to rebuild from the devastation of their lives? Where are the Christians joining the local Jews at their synagogues for prayer and remembrance? Sure, some Christians have done this. Why haven't all Christians done this? The sad answer is that many really don't care that much. Not enough to be inconvenienced. Folks, many of our churches have become the churches of Germany, full of Christians who just sang louder on Sunday morning as train cars full of desperate Jews were driven to their deaths in the concentration camps. The churches did this, and really, it wasn't that long ago. Why would things be any different now? The same satanic theology, replacement theology, infects our pulpits and silences those in the pews today. After this, let's talk about replacement theology, and let's talk Torah. For over 25 years, Ezra International has been helping the poorest of the poor Jewish people escape poverty and persecution. 
In fact, almost 80,000 Jewish people have now returned to Israel with our help. The average cost to rescue one Jewish person is $360. Your gift of just $30 a month over one year can help return a Jewish person to Israel and restore their hope for a better future. Please go to EzraInternational.org and give your best gift today. Okay, so I started the last podcast, Gary, with a disclaimer that we were probably going to be stepping on some toes today, and I'm going to give the same disclaimer. I guess I should have already given it before that intro. I think that (laughs) intro uh, made it quite clear, and and I want to thank you for that intro. It may be one of the best. You might be the only one thanking me for that intro. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it needs to be said. We can't stay silent, Kathy, and I I appreciate what you said. I mean, it's... um, it, we talked before about this is a time of, of, of making decisions. It's a time for spiritual, moral clarity. And yeah, I guess I, I am being very clear. And yeah, we've also clear. talked, Gary, that I just don't know now if it's not that we don't care what people think or feel. It's just that we're not trying to defend our honor here. I don't really care what people think about me and right. and so forth. I'm tr- we're trying to defend the honor of our God. And that's right. And so we, I don't care. Like we were saying in our last um, podcast, I don't care if people are offended with that because this is about God's reputation right. and about the people He loves. Right. And so you know, if they want to, they can call uh, you or I. You know, they can call us names all they want. Right. I don't care about that. Right. I just want to tell the truth about what God wants. That's right. So today we want to look at the Bible and see what it says about this doctrine of replacement theology. Some of this, um, some of this we've covered in previous podcasts, but I think it's worth going back over. But some of it may be new to you. And as believers, we must know why we should choose to stand with Israel and what happens, according to our Bibles, if we don't. Mm -hmm. You know, the identifying statement of replacement theology is something to the effect that God is done with the national and ethnic Jews. All of his promises and covenants with them have been transferred to the church. But if this is the case, then we have a God who lies, right? That is right. That's I think this is what's so misunderstood that by by claiming this, we are calling God a liar. He he made it very clear, and we're gonna go right to the foundation in Genesis and we're gonna read this again. And we've done it before and we're gonna do it again. Absolutely, it needs to be done because this is really the foundational uh, scripture that the, the Gary, covenant. when we talk about foundations of our faith, mm-hmm. this is there's nothing more foundational right. in our faith than the book of Genesis and the covenants that God made with Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. And there's nothing more foundational. I know people argue many times for Christ crucified as the foundation. Well, this Christ, as we know him, came through this particular covenant. It was totally connected to this foundation. Amen. See, that's that's the context. This idea of Christ crucified without context 
is that Jesus just appeared out of out of a bubble, you know, into into a time in history with no context, with no pre thought. That is nothing could be further from the truth. This was all God's plan of world redemption from the beginning, and and this is why the enemy of our souls wants to uh, wants for us to forget about the Tanakh mm-hmm. or what the world calls the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've even had one very famous uh, preacher talk about we need to disconnect ourselves from the Old Testament. Remember? Yes, I do. And that is that is the way that, what the enemy would want. The enemy of our souls would want us to do that. In the book of Genesis, God chose Abraham and promised him a land and many descendants. And these descendants would be a blessing to the entire world. You know, that's what most people don't understand, Kathy. (laughs) They're a blessing to us. Yes. And yet we want want to persecute them or or discard them. Mm -hmm. These are the people who have brought us the word of God, our Bibles, often at the cost of their own lives. They're the people who literally brought us our Messiah, Yeshua. Let's let's read Genesis 17, 7 and Let's 8. do that again, Gary. Let's do it again. <laughs> and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And I asked you in the last podcast, who was he speaking to here? He was speaking to Abraham and all his descendants. That's right. The covenant was then passed down from Abraham to Isaac. We read that in Genesis 17, 19. And then from there, it was passed down to Jacob. And we read that in Genesis 35, 10. When we talked in part one, Kathy, uh, the part one of this podcast, about the word everlasting, which basically means everlasting. <laughs> I mean, which part of that word is so difficult for the church to understand? And we, you know, some we part say, of it is some part. But I guess we said, you know, people do word studies. We look it up in the Hebrew, and we know that it means everlasting, eternal, un, an unbroken future. The word olam that often is used to word to mean uh, the universe also means this eternal. See, the the, the connection is. The creator of the universe is intrinsically connected with the, the people of, of uh, Israel and the land of Israel. That's how that word all comes together with eternal uh, a covenant promise with mm-hmm. them. And, we, you know, we also talked in part one about the covenant confusion mm-hmm. and how many Christians confuse the unconditional covenant of God, the, the one he made with Abraham, with the conditional covenant God made with Israel mediated through Moses. This conditional Mosaic covenant said that Israel would be blessed if they obeyed and cursed if they disobeyed. Now, unfortunately, they disobeyed and they have they've had experienced the full course of the curses, including temporary exile from the land. Christianity has definitely suffered from covenant confusion and the Jewish people have suffered because of our confusion. You know, what is what's so important to remember is that when God reveals a newer covenant, 
this newer covenant does not negate the older covenant. That's right. No more than a promise you make to your mother doesn't negate an earlier promise you made to your father. We understand that as a basic concept. So when the newer covenant was ratified by Yeshua's blood, it did not replace any of the earlier covenants. In fact, it was a new layer of the Mosaic covenant where the Torah of God was written on man's hearts instead of on tablets of stone. Same Torah, different way of interacting with it. Now, Jeremiah 31, which we've gone over before, but honestly, Jeremiah 31 is probably one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. I recommend you, 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 that to our audience to read the whole thing. But it tells us that even this covenant, the newer covenant, the one claimed exclusively by Christians, it was actually made with Israel. So we read in Jeremiah 31, 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Who's that covenant with, Gary? (laughs) The the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not Mm. too tricky, huh? No. It was not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke, though I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. Mm -hmm. After those days, I will put my law in their minds and inscribe it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each man teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sins no more. He's talking to Israel. It's so clear. He is. It, it says it right there. Once again, either God's a liar or we've got some confusion going on. That's right. And it even defines which covenant he's speaking of. You know, this was not the covenant that God made with Abraham. This was the Mosaic covenant because he talks about them coming out of Egypt in the wilderness. And this is the one that they broke. So they, they, they cannot break the Abrahamic covenant, but they can disobey the words of the covenant in, they, they made it with Moses, with God made with Moses and the people at Sinai, mm-hmm. but because of the Abrahamic covenant, they're still His people. That's right. They're just paying. The, they have paid the price, a terrible price, for their disobedience. And the land the is still their land. The land is still yeah. their land. That's right. I mean, Kathy, any unbiased reading of the biblical text clearly confirms that all of the covenants were made with Israel. I mean, you know, in fact. Many people go to Paul, he, the guy, the guy that everyone turns to to support their replacement <laughs> theology, and he told us the covenants were made with Israel. I'm going to read from Romans nine, verse four and five, and um, <laughs> I mean it, it really is clear. Who are Israelites? To to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Oh, Whose are the fathers and of whom are concerning the flesh Messiah came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Who, who's this with? Even, who who even, has the covenants? Yeah, even Israel? Wordy Paul makes it clear that it's Israel, that the covenants, they, they, have, they have been given these things. And again, for our benefit. That's right. That's Ephesians, right. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul makes that very clear. He reminds the Gentiles that we were strangers to these covenants. And again, it's plural. We were completely stranger to the covenants. But therefore, remember, he says in Ephesians 2.12, remember that formerly you were Gentiles in the flesh and called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision 
that, that done in the body by human hands. We're talking about the Jewish people when we talk about the circumcision. That's right. Okay? Remember that at that time, you were separated from the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in the Messiah Yeshua, you who are once far off have been brought near through the blood of that same Messiah. Now, I, I, I just emphasize a little bit there, but that's, Paul's making it very, very clear that, Kathy, we as Gentiles, we were without hope. We had no chance. But through the blood of the Messiah, we've been, we have an opportunity to enter in to the covenants that God made with Israel. That's right, because the covenants weren't made with us. They weren't. The made only with us. way we can benefit from them is to join Israel. To be a part of Israel. That's it. it and, we it, don't replace Israel. We join along with that's Israel. That's right. Paul doesn't say that through Jesus the Gentiles replace Israel, but we join them and become part of the Commonwealth. Now, what does that mean, Kathy? I gotta t I gotta share this with you. Just a few days ago, I had a good discussion with my agnostic friend. And by the time we were done with that conversation, he asked me a very poignant question that much of the church hasn't asked. He says, is there a way for someone like me to join Israel? Oh, wow. He did. That's a great question. I was like, I was blown away. I said, I wish the church members would be, would have seen it so clearly. Wow. Through our conversation, he said, is there a way for someone like me to join Israel? Wow. Yeah. Light bulb. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. You know, but despite what seems so clear, even in what Paul is writing, right? Somehow over the years, the church has, ta has taught that Christians have replaced Israel in God's covenants. So how did they get to that idea? Now, lots of different things happen, right? right. But the church basically interpreted the curses for Israel's disobedience as a sign that God was done with Israel. And surely, if God allowed Jerusalem and the temple to be destroyed, and if he allowed Israel to be punished and scattered to the ends of the earth, he was done with them. It was the only logical conclusion, as long as you ignored what the Bible said, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and really, that's not so hard to do, because for centuries, the common person, number one, had no access at all to the Bible, right. so they were listen, waiting for other people to tell them what was in it. They, so they relied on their priests and their bishops, the, the authorities in the church. And, you know, let's face it, even in our day, when we have all kinds of access to the Bible right here on our, our little phones, and right. like we said, we counted once, and I had 10, 15 copies mm -hmm. of the Bible in my house, Likewise. very few people bother to read it. So, you know, the truth is that Israel did disobey God, and God allowed them to suffer the consequences of their disobedience, the national curses. But does that mean that God was done with them? You know, do we have any parents that are in the audience here? I bet we do. You know, when your children suffer natural, natural, can I say that word? Natural. natural? <laughs> I'm trying to do natural natural. national, yeah, yeah. natural, natural. <laughs> Okay, let's rewind. So when your children suffer the natural consequences of their bad behavior, 
Does this mean you stop loving them? You stop caring for them? You write them out of your will? Uh, I I mean, absolutely not. We understand that as parents and as God is our father, we can't think that that would be similar for him. I mean, mean, he's the one that describes himself that way. That's right. as As a loving father. So in addition to just being common sense, let's see what God says about holding up his end of the covenants. Basically, what we're asking is, is God a covenant breaker? Yeah, I love Woo. this passage. Go Woo. ahead. So once again, we're back to Jeremiah 31. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this time, 36. And he just, we just read the earlier passages right, right. before that, that he said, I've made this co- I'm making this covenant with Israel, okay, and I'm writing these uh, my ordinances and my law in their heart. And he goes, if... These ordinances. Now, right before this, he's talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's what he's referring to, the sun, the moon, and the stars. If they depart from before me, says the Lord, then this, then, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus said the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. You know, so once again, very clear. Very clear. I mean, even though it's been raining here for a few days, I know the sun's still up there. That's right. <laughs> That's I, right. I've seen it recently, and I've seen the moon and, and the stars. And luckily, Gary, because God's not a covenant breaker, he promised he was not going to flood the earth with water, <laughs> right? Not going right. to flood so it. We don't, we, we, so this we, will can, stop. we can, it will stop. Yeah. We can count on this. Yeah. So anyway, so what this tells us that is that while there, there will be those of Israel who will be cast off for what they have done, okay, natural individual consequences, that's, that's at an individual le- level. But God does not cast off Israel as a nation. That's right. Now, some people argue for replacement theology using Romans 9. So let's look at this. It says, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Now, when you just look at that, Gary, right off the bat, I can see where people come up with some, if you're already thinking replacement theology, you can look at these verses and come up with the idea, okay, well, yeah, God's done with those, those Jews. They're not the, it's not the physical, you know, seed of Abraham. It's, it's somebody else. That's if you come at it already with that paradigm with with that that paradigm exactly because when i read it i the first thing i think of is the confirming of you know it wasn't ishmael exactly exactly so what you're doing gary yes is you're reading based on what you know from the book of genesis right which is exactly how those people would have understood it in, in in paul's day so it talks about isaac oh wait wait that's the story of isaac and ishmael right both physical seeds of abraham right but but it was through isaac that the promises would come. Another reason why we don't want to discard the Tanakh. That's good. That's kind of helpful. It is right? a little helpful. It, it explains it, some of these passages, it, doesn't it? Exactly. So, you know, and also this verse says nothing about Gentiles. It's talking about Abraham's physical descendants. So if you're thinking that the physical descendants of Abraham are not his real descendants, but instead the Gentile believers are, 
you're kind of reading your own bias and paradigm into this these verses because yeah. it's not talking about this. It's it's simply saying that it's something we all know. Not all of Abraham's physical descendants, those who are circumcised in the flesh, are also circumcised in the heart. Right. Like we many, know that. Like many Gentiles. Exactly. Most Gentiles, exactly. Right? It's the same right. thing. We all get that, right? right. So, but knowing this to be true does not then lead us to the conclusion that none of Abraham's physical descendants are God's children, none of them are faithful, or that only the faithful Gentiles are the real seed of Abraham. No. You you can't... It's a perversion of the word. Right. And then what happens after this verse, it starts talking about Sarah's... Okay, so in in this verse, it talks about Sarah's son, Isaac, and uh, Rebecca's son, Jacob. Once again, go back to Genesis... That's where we read that that story. That's where we have to get context for understanding this verse. Paul assumes that we know that story. Paul would assume that because all the, his audience should be studying this word. Yes. Or, you know, well, the, obviously the Jewish audience did. That's the, what I mean. And the, the Jewish Gentile, Unfortunately, the Gentiles is where the trouble begins exactly. because all the call this perversion of the word of God. But God makes it very clear. I mean, one of my favorite passages, Exodus 3.15, God says, my name is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this is a memorial name forever because he identified with three generations so that we would be clear on this topic, yet... We're not clear. Unfortunately, so many are not clear. I mean, you and I are clear. The Word of God is clear. But, you know, a perverse reading of it changes the meaning. And we all know that. If you're going to look at a glass and you already know the glass is half empty, that's how you're going to see it, right? right, right. It, it all depends on your paradigm. We exactly. talk about paradigms all the time. Yeah, There's so powerful. Yeah, we and we've had to make those paradigm shifts and I'm so grateful that we did. That's right. Through through that shift you become to, to understand the truth. You see the word clearly. It's absolutely necessary to learn something new to undo or discard something old that you had held on to. That's right. You have to readjust to this new information in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And it takes a love for the truth, Kathy. Oh, you absolutely. Have to have a love for the truth. You know, we don't have time to read all of Romans 11, which is a great mm-hmm. uh, chapter, and I would encourage you to take time to read it in our audience. We're going to highlight some parts of it. We're going to start with verse 1, where it says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. I mean, there again, so clear that this this verbose, this this wordy Paul that everybody has to read is so right to the point here. Has he cast away his people? No, certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God didn't cast him aside. Exactly. Yeah. He, he's bragging on his heritage, Benjamin being the, the youngest son of Jacob, mm-hmm. Israel. You know, here he is, still part of Israel and still, you know, what we call Jewish today. That's right. Not yeah. the first Christian. No, not still the first claiming Christian. to be, yes, definitely Jewish. Not starting a new religion. That's right. And then in verse 17, and th- this is huge, and pay attention now. Now, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, a wild olive shoot, now this is speaking to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. you, a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in, in among the others to share in the nourishment of the olive root. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, remember this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Whew. Yeah, a, a huge truth. 
you will say, verse 19, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in? That is correct. They were broken off because of unbelief. But you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will certainly not spare you either. And let me make something very clear here. God didn't say he cut the tree down. He said he broke some branches off. That's right. The tree is still intact, and the root goes all the way down to Abraham. That's right. Verse 22. And this is actually talking, just to make this a little more juicy, sure. this is saying you're already grafted in. Oh, but you could be broken off. Yeah, yeah. So I, we're not even going down that we road. We won't so. go down that today, but that, I would think yeah. that we give that a lot of thought. Oh, that's right. right. <laughs> Those who say once they don't always say That's it, right. right, exactly. Okay. Uh, verse 22, take notice, therefore, of the kindness and severity of God. Severity to those who fell, but kindness to you. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. <laughs> and if you do not persist in, if you do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. I'm sorry, they, if they, if they speaking now of back again to the, of the Jewish people, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut from a wild olive tree and contrary to nature, were grafted into one that is cultivated, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive I tree? I love that. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. So Paul goes on to say this. I do not, and this is our wish too, Kathy and I, mm. the reason we do these podcasts. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you will not be conceited. A hardening in part has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove godliness, godlessness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them will I, when I take away their sins. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. There, it's this promise is is something that God will not change. He is He loves His children. He wants them to come back. I believe the physical regathering to the land is part of that process, and they will come back. They will Amen. know Him again. They will. He says that, and I'll take away their sins. He mentions the covenant here, my covenant with them. He didn't say that covenant I'm done away with. Exactly. You know, it's, it's still. This is talking about a future time, Gary. Yeah. Yeah, because yes. because you know we we've seen we as we have the advantage of retrospect. Yes, we have seen the fact that history supports that Israel was scattered twice for their disobedience. They're being regathered now a second time, and this is the final regathering because mm -hmm. Scripture does not speak of a third regathering. So we know that we're living in a day where we're witnessing God moving toward the favor of Zion. Has That's come. Right. The time that's a favor Zion has come. Mm. I mean, in these verses, as in, in Paul's writings, he's trying to teach that God has provided a way for the faithful Gentiles to participate in the covenants that God made with Israel. We do not replace faithful Israel. We join faithful Israel. And if any of the branches, both Jew and Gentile, become unfaithful, they will be broken off from the tree. Same rules apply to everyone. Yes, including us. Including us. Yes. Uh, absolutely. So 
it's so important. Once again, I think, okay, Jeremiah 31, Romans 11. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the two big heavy hitters um, of, of our basic understanding of who we are in relationship to Israel. Amen. I mean, see, Kathy, what we've done here thus far is we've taken Genesis, we've taken the prophets, we've taken the words of uh, you know uh, what we call the New Testament or the mm-hmm. or disciples' writings and t- I tied them all together the way that they're supposed to be. Not in isolation, exactly. Not without the first part of the Bible. It's all together. That's where we get the full meaning and the full understanding. And that's when we miss when we are part of a New Testament church. And we get rid of the new or new covenant church, whatever you want to call it. And everything before Matthew is basically out. We miss all of this. That's where our problems come, Gary. It is. And that's why people will come along and take a passage out of context. A single passage. I'll use an example. Mm -hmm. Galatians 3.28 talks about no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, Mm -hmm. male or female. Right. That's talking about the approach to God, the father is the same for all. Everybody. It's not saying that God did away with all the Jews and they don't exist anymore. And it's not saying what the woke crowd is telling us, that there's no more man or female. female. You know, it's funny, Kathy, you said that because I used to teach, you know, if you were standing, if you were in a church and you're teaching this and you say, look around you, do you see male and female? You know, everybody say yes. Well, then obviously God didn't do away with male and female. Now, that's what the woke crowd's trying to do. Exactly. But no, he didn't do away with male and female and he hasn't done away with Gentiles and Jews. Therefore, it's what he's talking about here is the approach to God. It's all the same. same. Right. That's the danger of taking things out of context, like Mm -hmm. like this passage is often done. Yes. Same thing happens with Philippians 3.3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Once again, it's your paradigm. Right. Okay. But I will tell you, this is just Paul reiterating that God is looking for circumcision of the heart from all of his worshipers, both Jew and Gentile. That's That's what he's looking for. Basically what Gary just said, a circumcised Jew can have a circumcised heart. Paul was the perfect example of this. Mm -hmm. So were the disciples and all the first followers of Christ. There's no replacement going on here, just the continuation of something that has always been true since the time of Abraham. It's not new. It's true. It's not new. It's true. It's right. Because we read all types of examples of Gentiles, proselytes coming into the faith, following Israel. That's right. A mixed company came out of Egypt. So that's not new. I love that was uh, one of my favorite Torah teachers, Brad Scott, always said, it's not new. It's true. I like that. I think it's really appropriate. Also, you can look at Galatians 6, 15 and 16, and pull it out of context. And you might be able to say, hey, I found some support for replacement theology. But let's look at it again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Mm. So once again, Paul's saying that no one earns their salvation by what they do. 
i.e. something like circumcision. That was one of the big uh, discussions in the early church was do people need to become circumcised, i.e. become Jews in order to to join with this faith? And the answer was no, you didn't have to do that, right? Now, once again, circumcision was a sign that you have submitted to that God, but that wasn't necessary, okay, in order to be saved. It wasn't necessary. But we must be renewed, everybody, born from above, reborn from above. We show our faith by trusting God and following him. Abraham was considered righteous before God because of his faith. He believed God and trusted in his promises. His faith was not based on his own works or merit, but on God's grace and mercy. His faith was shown by his actions in accordance with God's will. Thus, we have the word immunah, his faithfulness. That's right. Because of, because of his faith or his faithfulness, he received God's favor and was called God's friend. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, we've all read it in our New Testaments, lists all of the faithful in the Bible, all of the righteous of the Bible, long before Christ's sacrifice occurred on the earth. The Israel of God that this verse talks about includes these faithful Jews and it includes faithful Gentiles. Once again, it's not a replacement. It's just what is true. Amen. Amen. Kathy, you know, the motivation for these uh, two podcasts that, you know, part one and two uh, was the October 7th Mm. events, you know, the, the horrific attack on Israel and, you know, both of us, I think we had a visceral reaction to that, as, as all lovers of Israel probably did. Um, they've revealed that that event revealed that now is the time of separating and dividing. I mean, this is this is a God pattern that goes all the way back to Genesis one, where God divided light from darkness. This separation is also happening in the body of the church. And, you know, I, I truly believe this is about light and darkness. I mean, this is good. Oh, and yes. This is it's all, Genesis it's 1 right all, there. All over again. Mm-hmm. And this separation is reflected in the idea of I will bless those who bless you and I curse those who curse you. Genesis 12, 3. That's a separation. That's a separation. And God set the parameters of who would be blessed and who would be cursed. Very those, clear. Those who would bless the, Abraham and his descendants and those who, uh, uh, those who cursed would be cursed. And it's also reflected again. Talk about patterns. I mean, this this one. <laughs> it's a baby. Yeah, yeah. It is. It really is because we're talking from Genesis to Revelation, I believe. And we, in somewhere in the middle, we have Joel. Joel chapter three verse two says, "I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That that's the valley of judgment. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning what? Concerning my heritage." My people, Israel. I mean, God through Joel, God makes it very clear what the what the criteria is for this judgment. My heritage, my people, Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations, and they divided my land. I mean, my gosh, how specific! You and know, once again, we have you know we think oh we're sitting fine and we're pretty here in the in the U.S. We have an administration and leadership that wants to divide the land. It's still calling for that, even I, after Oct- uh, October seventh. I I, I I can't believe I was surprised, but when I heard actually heard President Joe Biden say a two state solution was the answer after all oh, after of this, all of that, I my mouth still dropped. That's right because we're remembering. 
right here. Don't divide the land. Don't divide the land because I'm going to bring judgment on the nations that do that. That's right. And we know, Kathy, you and I know that two-state solution is just code for the final solution. That's exactly All right. that is, is they, they want Israel gone. And I'm not saying necessarily Joe Biden no. wants them gone, but he's playing into the hands of the enemy. When, when doing that. Mm -hmm. So let's connect. I, I said in the beginning of this, I said we're, we're looking at a pattern that goes from Genesis and all throughout the scripture. We've read from Genesis. We've read from the prophet Joel. Joel provides us the context to Yeshua's words. He just told us what the gathering of the nations for judgment would look like. Then we see Yeshua in Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, say this. Now listen, I know many of you are familiar with this passage, but I'm giving you the context of this passage. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, when He will sit on His throne in His glory, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Ooh, separation. separation. That's what we were just talking about. There it is there again. It is. One to the other. Separation. And we're doing it once again in the context of the judgment of the nations. That's right. You should have just made that very, very clear. He knew Joel 3, too. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he made it very clear that that's what he's describing here, the judgment of the nations. And he will separate. He said, then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them and say, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That is one powerful message mm. of you know, once again, including the blessings and curses of Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those and curse those. We see that in his wording. We see he uses the, the judgment of the nations from Joel chapter 3, who said it was about my people Israel, and then says what you did to the least of these, my brethren. It's clear, Kathy, that Yeshua is saying what you do to Israel, you will be judged about for, and what you do not do you will be judged. And it really leaves no room for, for doing nothing. No. It, you know, there, there was, you're right, because if you don't do it, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the judgment the, that's right the there. Judgment. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I, I shared this before. Um, I don't know about whether it's on this podcast or not. They, the rabbis talk about Chilul Hashem and Kedush Hashem. 
what you do to uh, sanctify the name of God, or you, if you don't do His will and His word, you desecrate His name. Right. There's no in between. There's, There's no, no in between. right. And right. So no lukewarm. Yeah, and even inaction as a child of God means desecrating His name. I think that's really important to remember that even inaction, apathy, right. not being involved, not standing f- up for God's people. That's right. That will get judged. Right. Okay. They're, they're, that brings the curses. It does. You know, there's a famous, Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood that when he said, and I can't, I won't quote the entire thing because it slips my mind a little bit right now, but it was along the lines of to not to act is to act. act. Yes. To, to, to stay silent, to, you know, or to say silent is to speak. That's you know, right. You're, 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 you're sharing exactly what you are. In fact, you know, in fact, I want to, I want to take some words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer mm-hmm. here, but before I do, I read a, a recent article that, uh, from the Daily Signal that speaks about this, you know, taking a side. And there was the, I'll give full credit, Jarrett Stepman is the one who wrote this article in, in Daily Signal, and he quotes um, Barry Weiss. And he, it's talking about the West, the, U, the U.S. and the West, and the, the new ethos, which is basically a new secular religion. So even though people say that they're not religious, they've made a choice. And listen to this, Kathy. I think it just hits it. It nails it right on the head. It replaces basic ideas of good and evil with a new rubric. The powerless are the good, and the powerful are the bad. Simple as that. It replaced lots of things like colorblindness with race obsession, ideas with identity, Debate with denunciation, persuasion with public shaming, the rule of law with the fury of the mob, and it seeks to upend the very ideas of right and wrong. So, you know, here we are talking about separation, dividing, and yet this ideology we're seeing in the West that's 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 fueling these mobs that we're witnessing all over the country and all over the world, basically, is they they're 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 blurring the lines of right and wrong, and they're disappearing. Where you called for moral clarity a moment ago, right. it doesn't exist with these mobs. Mm. Now, let's let's read what Bonhoeffer had to say about this. Now, keep in mind, he wasn't talking about your intellect. He was talking about stupidity, but he was not talking about... You could be smart and still be a stupid person. Amen. You can be, you can be an uneducated person and not be stupid. Amen. Amen. So he says, listen to this, and I'm just going to take excerpts from it. It's too long to read the entire thing. But he said, stupidity is more dangerous, a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice. Against stupidity, we are defenseless. Neither protest nor the use of force accomplish anything here. Reason falls on deaf ears. Facts that contradict one's prejudgment simply need not be believed. In such moments, the stupid person even becomes critical, and when the facts are irrefutable, they are just pushed aside as inconsequential and as incidental. Does that sound familiar? Sounds very familiar. It goes on. Upon closer observation, it becomes apparent that that every strong upsurge of power, and in this case, I think this upsurge of this Islamic ideology and, and wokeness marrying each other, Every upsurge of power in the public sphere, be it of political or a religious nature, 
infects a large part of humankind with stupidity. The power of one needs the stupidity of the other. All right, and he goes on a little bit more. In conversation with him, one virtually feels that one is dealing not at all with a person, but with slogans, catchwords, and with and the like that have taken possession of him. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Having thus become a mindless tool, the stupid person will also be capable of any evil and at the same time incapable of seeing that it's evil. Now, on that... So when did he write this? This was in the 30s. 30s, right. So he saw the same things happening. He saw the same things happening. That we're seeing. We're seeing it together. And when I read that one, it came to mind, I just watched one of those Man in the Streets interviews with a woman who was saying, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. The interviewer interviewer said, which river? Which sea? And the glazed look came over. She couldn't answer. She said, why is that important? He asked her again. She says, uh, she stammered. She could not tell him which river and which sea she was chanting about. So she was one of these mindless people who became a slogan who had no idea why she was doing it. Or at least, you know, she was... And they say this happens all the time with these mobs that we're seeing, that they have no idea what they're chanting, what it means... But if they're loud enough and do it, you know, long enough and hard enough, I guess it'll make a difference. I don't know. So Uh, so in a sense, we've got to we've got to uh, let's bring this back to the the members of the church. Don't just quote things mindlessly without digging in. I'm not going to leave you without an answer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the brilliant man that he was, he gives us the answer. What's the cure? He says this. The word of the Bible, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, declares that the internal liberation of human beings to live the responsible life before God is the only genuine way to overcome stupidity. The word of God. I mean, basically, the the, the West has to return to faith. Otherwise, we're going to be consumed into this nihilistic black hole. That we're witnessing. We absolutely see that in the news every single day when we turn on our, our televisions and we we see all of this is the exact same thing, I guess, that Bonhoeffer was seeing in uh, pre-World War II uh, Germany. Yeah. Exact same thing going on. And, and, and he warned against it. And guess what? The church did not listen at that time, Gary. Right. They did not. They did not listen. And we see what happened when they did not listen. So so we're hoping this time that the church will learn from that and and that they will listen and read the word. That's why we have to keep bringing the word back. What does the word say? Because the word over and over and over tells us that the judgments that God is bringing upon the nations and upon individuals, I'll bless those who bless and curse those who curse, is related to their relationship and their response to Israel. That's right. Over and over. And Kathy, you you said something very profound there. You talked about the church not listening and think about that for a moment. What resulted? I know. Six million Million people died died because the church wouldn't listen. And maybe all of World War II because the church Church was asleep at the wheel. Because because the church members of the pulpit were, were goose-stepping with Hitler instead of reading the word of God to their constituents. That's right. And 
that's a that's a sorry statement on the church at that time. But we are seeing the same things happening now. That wasn't that long ago, Gary. We think we've gotten a lot smarter since then in the church. I don't think so. In fact, we've been more infected with... I'll call it some of that stupidity and I'll yeah. call individual people stupid, but these, these type of indoctrinations or ideologies within the church, right. um, you know, to the point that some churches don't know that there's men and women, you know, I know I mean, it's, come it's, on. it's horrific. And you're right. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't. These, my father served in World War II. Exactly. It That's wasn't, not, that, long it wasn't that long ago. That's right. You know, I, I'm talking about this pattern because we always talk about patterns that God is using Israel to make these divisions and these separations. Well, Jeremiah 51 says exactly the same thing. Um, it says he's going to use Israel to shatter the world. He goes, you Okay, this was Jacob. You, Israel, are my war club, Mm -hmm. my weapon for battle. With you, Israel, I shatter nations. With you, I bring kingdoms to ruin. With you, I shatter the horse and the rider. With you, I shatter the chariot and the driver. With you, I shatter man and woman. With you, I shatter old man and the youth. With you, Israel, I shatter the young man and the maiden. With you, I shatter the shepherd and his flock. With you, I shatter the farmer and his oxen. And with you, I shatter the governors and officials. With you means with Israel. And he leaves no one out. I mean, every, he really, he's covering everything right he there. He covers every base there, you know, of, of every man, woman, every man, woman, and child, every every leader and of the, every nation. That's every leader, right. Maybe pastor. Every, every pastor, the shepherd, and the shot, yes. the sheep. I don't think he's talking about actual sheep and flocks. I, I <laughs> Could be. I don't know. Yeah, I, <laughs> but I'm here. He's doing the shepherd ones. and the flocks. Yeah, right. Yeah. So many Christians just aren't comfortable with the idea of God shattering anyone. That's right. They're not comfortable with dividing and separating one person from the other. There's this big kumbaya, bring everybody in. That is so not biblical. It's not. You know, but this is, but this is God, one of God's purposes for Israel. He says it. It's the purpose of Israel is to shatter and be his war club. So the nation of Paraguay doesn't shatter the nations. Australia doesn't shatter the nations. Right. No nation except Israel can do that. We see it happening right before our very eyes. God is using Israel to separate and divide the world. I watched a video the other day of a guy who had an Israeli flag on his bike. He stops at like an intersection. A woman runs up and tries to push and grab that flag. Now, once again, if he'd had a Brazilian flag or a flag, nobody would have cared at all. Then other people get involved on both sides, Gary. There were ones who were, you joined in with her, and then there were others who joined in to protect this guy. That's a microcosm of what God is doing. That's exactly what he's, this is Jeremiah 51. It was Jeremiah 51. But you know, this dividing and separating we, we seem uncomfortable with it. Oh, is this an Old Testament God, right? Is this, this has to be this Old Testament God. But I'm going to ask you, is it any different from what Yeshua said that he had come to do in Matthew 10, 34? Do not assume that I've come to bring peace to the world. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to turn, here's a list, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, 
A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Doesn't it make sense that the king of Israel would have the same you know, mission as the, you know, Israel itself? Absolutely. So this idea, if you're uncomfortable with it, get over it because <laughs> this is what Yeshua said. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's, it is right there. You've got to somehow incorporate that into your, your belief system and make the adjustments that are appropriate or that are appropriate. Now I can confidently say that anyone listening to this podcast probably wants peace in their lives, sure. peace in their families, peace among their friends and neighbors and coworkers, peace within your churches. But the biblical reality is that when it comes to Israel and when it comes to Yeshua, there will be no peace at least not in the sense that most of us understand it. Well, that's true. I think we've got an idea of what peace is that maybe isn't quite as biblical as we might think. Um, some of you may know that the significance of word pictures in Hebrew and the, and the word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. Now, remember, Hebrew is a, a pictograph, uh, excuse me, pictographic language. Each uh, letter actually represents a picture of something. When you put these letters together, you get a bigger picture of what the word means. So let's let's break down the word shalom. And it's spelled in the Hebrew shin, lamed, vav, mem. Now the shin represents two front teeth and can mean sharp, eat, consume, separate, separate, or destroy. There's our word, There's separate. Separate. <laughs> yeah. And a mighty powerful one, destroy. Yes. The lamed in this in the in the word shalom uh, is a picture of a shepherd's staff. The shepherd uses the staff to exercise authority over the sheep to direct or lead them. It can mean teach, lead, yoke, move forward, or authority. The vav in the word shalom represents the tent peg or nail and means to secure or hook, but it can also simply mean peg or nail. And then finally, the mem illustrates water or waves. As a, a nomadic people, the Hebrews did not understand the waves or waters of the ocean, so the letter came to mean chaos, mighty, or blood. Okay, now that was a lot, you know, but we, if you pick down through some of those words, some of those, the meaning of the letters, when we put these pictures together, we have a Hebraic understanding of the word shalom, and it means to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. Peace only comes with the destruction of that which is causing chaos. Now that's a that's a more action-packed word. I mean, that means you've got to rid the world of chaos in order right. to have the true shalom. So thus we understand the need for Israel to completely destroy Hamas and not agree to a ceasefire with them. That doesn't fit in with the it definition of shalom. Yeah. You know, I, and I, as Kathy said, I mean, we all want peace, but that a ceasefire would not bring peace no, to the region. No, that's not what peace is about. It would not do that. It, it, would, all, it would only make things worse at mm -hmm. the moment. Thus, we understand what Yeshua must return to utterly defeat the enemies of God, Satan and his followers, before we can have peace on the earth. I mean, that... that we, we think we all have good intentions and the, the so-called 
you know, the mission of the UN is supposed to be about bringing peace. But we know that of the enemies. Are you a little God, skeptical of that, Gary? <laughs> it's, there's no no coincidence that the headquarters in Jerusalem is found on the Hill of Evil Council. That's exactly you know, right. The, 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 the enemies. Or over God, here, it's in New York City. But <laughs> so, no, all the enemies of God have to be. Destroyed. And that is what the Bible describes Yeshua as doing when he returns. Exactly. Whether you like it or not, it talks about blood up to his bridles and the bridle yeah. of the horses and everything. And I think that's what I think what we're seeing is God identifying all of his enemies right now. That's right. Everybody has to take a side. And and it's you remember remember when Moses came off the mountain and they were doing the golden calf thing, and he said, If you're standing with God, come over here, and if you're not you know, and what happened? All of those who were not were destroyed. That's it's the right. same pattern. If you're with God, you have to stand with Israel. Mm -hmm. And he's identifying those who will stand with him right now mm -hmm. and those who will not. Thus, we know that we cannot tolerate the idea of replacement theology in the church, Kathy. I mean, it causes confusion and chaos and, and a whole lot worse. Mm -hmm. It's causing followers of God to doubt the very promise that God made to his people. In effect, they're making God to be a liar. Isn't this what Satan did in the garden when he said to Eve, you know, did God really say not to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? But you no, know, in this case, same pattern. He's saying, he's saying, did God really say that he was making an eternal covenant with Israel? Yeah, it's, it's the, the same, exact same, same thing. I'm going to put some doubt in here. That's what he did. He doesn't say, no, he doesn't come out with an out and out lie. Right. He causes some doubt. So you'll read that and go, hmm, is that what God said? Is that what yeah. it meant? It looks pretty clear, but maybe it's not so. Because and, if you're, and if you're not reading the Tanakh, then you're easily fooled. Absolutely. Deceived. You know, we called this podcast series, and this was the second of two. So if you haven't heard the first one, we ask you to go back. It was called, Are Our Hands Stained with Blood? Sadly, it really seems as though erroneous church doctrine has fostered a spirit of pride within the church as we compare ourselves with our Jewish brothers and sisters, deeming them to be forever cursed and the church to be forever blessed. Erroneous doctrine has caused a spirit of apathy within the church, which has allowed Christians to turn the other way as our Jewish brothers and sisters have suffered and died at the hands of those bent on their destruction. An erroneous church doctrine has even caused, caused those who call themselves Christians to take up the sword both literally and figuratively, against their Jewish brothers and sisters, all in the name of Christ. As a church body, we must learn the errors of our ways and repent before it is too late. That's what Gary and I are here for. Amen. We're saying repent, learn, get the information, and repent. We will not be able to stand before God and defend our support of replacement theology by saying, oh, but Paul said, or I understood Paul to say this, or how about my pastor said, and he's a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. So that's not going to work. God is not messing around with this anymore. He has clearly allowed us another chance to get ourselves right before him. October 7th, 2023 was that chance. On October 7th, once again, Jewish people, God's chosen people suffered and died. And once again, 
And perhaps for the last time, the rest of us have been given a chance to choose to stand with them, to suffer and die with them if required, just as their Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, did. We pray that you will make the right choice. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.